0: Mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this do on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song, man, my song's gon' break through like a running back. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me as always is my friend, my colleague, my neighbor, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. But before I kick it over to him for our typical update and our typical Thursday night, Friday morning banter, I have to go on a bit of a tangent. Oh, Canada, Canada. Oh, Canada, indeed. You know, we are American (laughs) in a way. We're America adjacent. And I think that we probably do a lot for Canada-U.S. relations. But today is a very special day for Canada for a number of reasons. One, Andrew Wiggins, who I have lived and died with since he was drafted in 2014, is an NBA champion. He's an all-star. He's an NBA championship. Fantastic job. Great job to the Golden State Warriors boston celtics fans don't be too upset you have a talented team you're going to be back but for andrew wiggins who has universally disappointed through the first eight tenths of his career to win a title is fantastic because if you listen to this show and i'll make this a little f1 themes he's always been my lance stroll comp very talented never necessarily utilized never empowered never motivated but kudos to him another canada note Drake surprised the entire industry today tonight by dropping a new album that came out of nowhere. Wait, what? Super excited about. Yeah man. I never even heard new- about this. Brand new album. So wow. I was on the exercise bike this wow. afternoon and it came up on my Instagram feed. So I was chewing down, chewing down, consuming a little bit of that before, <laughs> before the podcast began. Uh, so that's super, super exciting for everybody. The album is called Honestly, Nevermind. Of course, you can find it on Spotify and Apple. Not a paid advertisement, I promise. And then I think finally, before we get to the Canadian Grand Prix later in the show, this is something I know you'll be excited about. They announced the host cities for World Cup 2026. Obviously, it is going to be shared between Mexico, the United States, and Canada. Two Canadian cities were selected. Toronto, obviously. Vancouver, British Columbia. We are a host city. You and I, my friend, in four years, we'll be going to World Cup matches together or maybe a World Cup match. I don't know. At the beautiful BC Play Stadium, I think we're probably going to hold as many as six games, which will be as many as almost any facility and city in the World Cup. So, pretty exciting. So, again, I'm going to take off my Canada hat fold up my Canadian flag and put it back in the drawer. Pulling out the Star Spangled Banner will get to being a a pro-America show. But I just wanted to make sure that I flexed a little bit on some of the exciting Canada stuff going on. My friend, how are you? (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Mr.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, I'm good. And, you know, you, you took you like a couple of minutes to get into this. Like you say, there's a lot of great news. I, I'm stunned about the whole Drake thing that completely slipped under the radar here. But uh, it was a busy afternoon. So I'm going to check that out as soon as we get uh, off the air here. Or we finish a uh, recording. But I'm good, man. I'm really good. It's been a, a busy week, but it's been a rewarding one so far. Looking forward to the, the, the race this weekend, the first Canadian Grand Prix since 20 freaking 19 can you believe that it seems like it's been an no, eternity but no it's wow. crazy it, it is, and I was going back and looking at some of the old, old race highlights and things like that, and I came across some kind of cool old race radios. And so I, I've got one here from 2018, which I thought was kind of cool. So I'm going to play this one now, and then i got a couple others. They're not exactly Canada uh, Canadian Grand Prix related, but they're kind of interesting and funny nonetheless. So here we go. Here's Canada 2018.
0: Well, Max, good effort. Good effort. You're definitely in the race from here.
1: I guess I still know how to drive. Yeah <laughs> Okay, that was kind of a, an interesting one there from from Max from uh, 2018. Was that after the the race after he had that shunt in qualifying at Monaco? when he put it into the wall in Q uh, so yeah in Q three or well, yeah Q three and then uh, started from the back of the grid or was that 2017? I've almost lost track. Everything daily sort of I will take your and word after for COVID. it. Yeah, pre
0: COVID is a blur to me. <laughs> Everything pre COVID is a bit of a blur. So I'll take your word for that. That was 2019.
1: Oh, okay, so here's another radio golden F. One radio moment to see if you can tell me who this is and when this was. It's, it's a short one, so you might have. I might have to play it a couple of times. I'll try three times, please, Bernard.
0: I try already, so try yourself.
1: I'll play that again for those of you that didn't catch. I try time. three times, please, Fernando.
0: I try already, so try yourself. So was okay. that Fernando? Was that Fernando in a Honda-powered McLaren? It was indeed. Okay so that could conceivably be 15 16 or 17
1: yes yeah yeah the, towards the end of that i, I mean th- there's a lot of bad moments with, <laughs> with reliability <laughs> issues with that with that car obviously but did you want to take a guess here or wh- 20, one more time i tried three times please banana. i try already, so try yourself that was <laughs> that was at, that was at the Ru- yeah sassy. That was at the Russian Grand Prix when he pulled up to the basically starts uh, the starting grid with a box full of neutrals and the car just died. <laughs> I think that was pretty much the, the look you know, at you coming sealed. with all these
0: sound bites. Yeah, tonight.
1: and and then the absolute classic interview rare f1 tv moment of all times this one's a little bit longer here let's check this one out so this is kimmy Räikkönen and martin brundle going way back to 2006. on up there
0: kimmy you missed the presentation by pele
1: yeah
0: will you get over it (laughs) yeah i was having a shit (laughs) okay thanks for that now yeah obviously you'll have a nice light car on the grid then
1: you know, there there you go. Martin Brundle's taking a little bit of heat, uh, you know, for his pit walks in, <laughs> in, over the last, uh, well, I guess it's a U.S. Grand Prix last year and, and all that. But, uh, you know, kudos to him. You know, that, <laughs> that's kind of a funny one. I, I mean, that's a bit of a cult Kimmy moment uh, going totally. all the way back to It's, uh, that, it's that was also a, a good
0: reminder that Kimmy didn't develop that personality later in his career, that it was there pretty much from the jump. Although that said, 2006, he's already. 5 years deep into his career. I know, right?
1: I mean, that's kind of scary. I mean, I remember seeing him way back in 2001, which probably would have been his first or second year in Formula 1, which I guess that would have been with with Sauber back then Sauer. before he made the jump to um McLaren and then, you know, the rest is uh, history. I mean, it, it was obvious right from the bat that uh that that, that he was going to be a rock star. Anyways, We've uh, kind of uh, had a little bit of ba- banter and back and forth here for a little bit uh, longer than usual. So why don't we jump into the into the into the I guess the meat of the show now. So why don't we we're, we're a little bit behind. Well, no, I think we've actually been a little bit better at it the last couple of weeks. Or you have at least uh, updating our, our F1 Fantasy League. So why don't you take it away?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we did an update on Sunday when did we when we did the race freeze cap and that was principally because it hadn't quite updated yet, but I think what we're beginning to see with the fantasy pool is those folks that didn't draft Charles Leclerc are starting to separate themselves from the pack and that is not a diss. I am not slandering Charles Leclerc. That is more or less just a reflection of the fact that he hasn't been delivering points for a number of different reasons. So Taking everyone through the top 10 this week, number one, Thaddis F from the UK with 1,000 770 points. Number two, Christopher N with 1,755 points. Number three, also from the UK, Andrew T, 1,737 points. Number four, Roland K, 1,718 points. Number five, Hannibal M, 1,712 points. The highest ranking Canadian at number six, Bradley P, 1,699 points. Number seven, also from the UK, there's a theme here, Marshall W, 1,698 points. Number eight, Duffy A, 1,619 684 points number nine matthew b 1683 points and rounding out the top 10 is adam j from canada 1680 points and just an observation here despite the fact that the uk makes up about 15 percent of our listener base based on some statistics that we shared last week they are taking up about 60 percent of the top (laughs) 10 on the fantasy pool That's
1: awesome. Well done, everybody. Okay, so now for another update, let's go over to the 2022 Formula One World Championship. On the driver's standings, we have uh, Max Verstappen leading away with 150 points, leading his teammate Sergio Perez with 129. Charles Leclerc hanging on by the skin of his teeth at this point in third place with 116 points. George Russell from Mercedes, 99 points, almost into triple figures, uh, which is a, a great... Great performance in his first year with uh, the Silver Arrows. Carlos Sainz, fifth with 83 points. And then to round out the top six, because why not? uh, We have to throw Lewis Hamilton in there. He has 62 points after eight races. On the Constructors' side, it is all Red Bull, 80 points ahead of uh, Ferrari. Red Bull has 279 points in the Constructors uh, compared to 199 for Ferrari. Mercedes, a fairly respectable 161 points, but uh, kind of uh, a... uh, substandard Hall, by their lofty standards, McLaren has 65, and then Alpine has 47. And then let's uh, just uh, take it over. Oh, uh, before we um, go on to the next agenda item, I just wanted to say big thanks to, to everyone. It's been a bit of an exciting week uh, for me. It was a bit of a busy Tuesday morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. First of all, I had uh, an, uh, a TV interview with uh, Global News Calgary just uh, previewing the Canadian Grand Prix coming up this weekend. So that was uh, pretty cool, spending uh, you know, about five or ten minutes with uh, Blake, the morning host. So that was uh, really cool. Followed up by another segment on Sky Sports UK. Thank you to everyone that took screenshots, sent us videos, especially uh, those of you in the UK who sent us video because, unfortunately, we don't get Sky Sports here. So it was uh, really cool to see, those, uh, see the videos. Uh, And uh, really cool to do that. It's been a couple of times in the last couple of weeks representing Scuderia F1 on uh, on Sky Sports UK. So pretty cool. And thanks for all the support. I mean, it's because of this awesome community that puts us on the radar and we get opportunities to do
0: amazing things like that. Yeah, 100%. I, and at one, I was super excited for you. You did a fantastic job. Cause of course, last week Cheers, I didn't mate. actually get the opportunity to see you with week one with Sky, but this week, of course, thank you to Imi for being able to capture that video and share it with us. That was fantastic. It was just also really cool selfishly to see Skidaria F1 podcast plastered along a banner on Sky Sports UK. That's pretty that's cool pretty, and pretty sweet special. That's and, really cool yeah. and let's be very honest you know, you've been around the media for a while doing tv spots doing tv drops that's nothing new to you but i think for both of us it's still something that we get very excited about and it's a uh, oh, really 100% It's a a reflection of all the support that everybody that listens at home um, gives to us. So hopefully that will be a continuing trend for you and you'll continue to support Sky through the rest of the season, fingers crossed. And your global one, which was, I think that was almost a five minute drop, right? And for everyone globally, global is a major national TV network in Canada. So you did a drop with them, spent I think four or five minutes talking about the Canadian Grand Prix. Also excellent job, my friend.
1: Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. And it was a bit of a tight timing because I went from one literally right into the second one. So it was a it was a busy start to my Tuesday morning. But talking about support and uh, the support we've received, we wanted to mention support for another uh, one of our good friends in the community here. And that's our, our buddy Magnus Greaves at the race weekend. Mark, why don't you do a little shout out for for our friends over there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Race Weekend, of course, is a phenomenal, I almost like to think of it as a bit of a bespoke Formula One publication, ad-free coffee table-sized books. They publish every quarter. They're up to issue three right now. They most recently dropped the US edition with a great Daniel Ricciardo interview that was conducted Mm. by none other than Elizabeth Blackstock, who of course has been on our show a couple of times now and is also a big, big advocate for this program. So shout out to Elizabeth Blackstock. Uh, But it's a great publication. And again, you know, people reach out to us, admittedly, my friend, um, people reach out to us all the time. Can you promote our podcast? Can we do a collaboration? Can you come on our YouTube channel? Can you promote this? Can you share this t shirt that we have? Like, people come to us all the time. And I'll be very honest, like, I'm not open to promoting something that I don't necessarily see value in. And with Race Weekend, I think it's a great publication. I subscribe with my own money. I put my credit card in and I subscribe because I believed in it. And there's a few other obvious content creators out there that we're big advocates for, but I think they do a fantastic job. And admittedly, a couple of months ago, Magnus, who's the founder of Race Weekend, he came to us and said, hey, look, can we partner up and do a promotion together? And your listeners, if they subscribe using coupon code Pod will save 10%, and you guys will get a small commission. And we're super transparent and honest with the community, but I promise you, we would not be repping that publication if we didn't think it was a fantastic value. So if you have the opportunity, at least check it out, theraceweekend.com, T-H-E-R-A-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. Check it out. Fantastic quality drops every quarter. It's a nice piece to have on your coffee table when you have friends over on a Sunday to watch the Grand Prix.
1: Yeah, not only is it a great publication, but the people involved uh, uh, making that magazine are, are are great people as well. So it's 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 an easy one to for us to, to get behind and promote. And just before we go on another shout out. Want to give a big shout out to Pennzoil and Scuderia Ferrari who sent us both some nice uh, swag in advance of the Canadian Grand Prix. A nice big box full of a Pennzoil branded cooler bag and treats and merch and hats and everything. But the PS de Resistance, the cherry on the top of that cake, was a one eighteen scale model of the uh, the one thousandth Grand Prix anniversary Ferrari model uh, rocked or that uh, with the livery that they rocked at Mugello in 2020, uh, you know, a Charles Leclerc 118 uh, scale model. So that's sitting here in the studio with pride, that's uh, that's a real cool one. So big, big thanks to the people at uh, Scuderia and Ferrari, and uh, and Penzoil for for that. Uh, yeah, cheers,
0: guys. big shout out. My 118th scale model is currently on its way to a very special listener who uh, will remain nameless because I want it to be a bit of a surprise. But it is currently on its way overseas. So big shout out to Penzoil and Scuderia for Ferrari for hooking us up. I promise to our listeners at home that does not mean we will become Ferrari <laughs> homers. We Made no such commitment to Ferrari when we are accepting these gifts, but yeah, but I, again, well, in the spirit of transparency,
1: they they might uh, want to retract that gifting of the swag after some of the comments <laughs> that we made uh, last weekend.
0: Have they heard Just our podcast? It. I'm not so sure.
1: Well, seeing that they didn't send a bunch of like, uh, you know, goons over here to like, uh, you know, forcefully remove the merchandise <laughs> out of my house, uh, I maybe we're okay for 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 the time being. But if some uh, you know, some scary looking guys show up, then uh, I'll I'll let you know. And I'd I'd appreciate the heads up if uh if they come to your place first. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you had a couple. I just looking at the show notes here. You had a couple of really cool items uh, here. Just uh, some some trivia or some cool uh some some cool stats. So, wouldn't you uh. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: And this is not research that I put together. I will be very honest. These are typically things I pick up uh, surfing through Reddit late at night. The the first stat here, and unfortunately I wasn't sure who this came from, so I can't credit it, but Max is the youngest driver in the history of Formula One to win 25 races. Uh, He, let me just take a look here, or Let's take a look Yeah, Max youngest driver to win 25 races. It took Jim Clark 45 races, Jackie Stewart, 54, Michael Schumacher, 62, Senna, 65, Prost, 67, Vettel, 77, Mansell, 81, Lauda, 88, Lewis, 112 Grand Prix to crack 25 race wins, Max, Mm -hmm. 118, and Alonso, 123. Another quick stat here, probably not a surprise to most people at home, but it kind of speaks to how dominant Charles Leclerc was early in the season. Most laps led this season, Charles Leclerc, 195 max verstappen 178 and sergio perez 83 and then a couple of other really quick stats here and i promise i'll make this fast this comes from garbage can on reddit stat of the week only three canadians have taken poll in or sorry only three drivers have (laughs) taken poll in canada since 2007 that is ridiculous so listen to this Poll in 2007, LH, 08, LH. In 09, there was no race because Birdie was in a really, really aggressive dispute with the race organizers. In 10, it was Lewis. 11, 12, 13, it was Vettel. 14, it was Rosberg. 15, 16, 17, it was Lewis. And 18 and 19, it was Sebastian Vettel. So just to recap, Mm -hmm. since 2007, only three different drivers have scored a poll at the Canadian Grand Prix. Obviously, Nico is not going to do it this year. It's unlikely Lewis is going to do it. And it's very unlikely that Sebastian Vettel is going to do it. So we'll have only the fourth driver securing a pole at this track since 2007 in the next couple of days.
1: That's a that's actually a really interesting uh, stat. I mean, you, you kind of look. I mean, uh, obviously, 2011 to 2013 is peak Red Bull slash Sebastian Vettel, right? I right. mean, that's when they when they were dominant, and then going into 2014, that's when Mercedes basically took over. That's the the start of the Mercedes era. But then 2018, 2019, 2018 was obviously a very competitive year for Ferrari. 2019, obviously, I First think there's half. a half. Bit-
0: first half. (laughs) Yeah,
1: a bit of an asterisk beside that one because uh, (laughs) they got uh, sent to the naughty step uh, after the end of that year for you alleged uh, irregularities, which we speculated at for, for what, like two plus years now on this show. Yeah,
0: I like to think of 2018, 2019 as the PED era for Ferrari, the performance enhancing (laughs) drugs era that we all knew something was going on and it quietly came to an abrupt halt after a conversation between the FIA and Scuderia Ferrari. But to me, that's the uh, the PED era for that team.
1: You you know I'll I'll go with that if you just kind of go with like that sort of blanket statement. But if you try drawing parallels between Barry Bonds and, and Sebastian Vettel, then yeah, I I don't know if uh, I would necessarily see the logic in the in that one. But
0: <laughs> sometimes I just right. try too hard to connect with our American audience.
1: <laughs> That's all good, my friend. Okay, so uh, you had another stat here regarding uh, DNF percentages. Oh yeah, Who, I that? missed oh, this so that- one. So this one's kind of cool. Yeah, take it away. Take it away. Yeah, so I'm thinking this has obviously got to be a a reference to Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz and everything that's happened with the Ferrari over the opening eight races, which is what I can't quite read the number. I think it's about 18.8 or 18.9%. Yeah, 188 which um, I'm not sure what the, uh, the the reference would be in 2017. Would that also be with Ferrari or somebody else? I don't know. So this is
0: this is across the grid. So the so stat that we're looking at here, okay. and this came from Reddit, from Y-N-O-N-A, the stat is really that this season has so far had the second highest DNF percentage of the last decade. So going back to 2012, and the number through this number of races, 2012, 14%, 2013, 12, 2014, 18, 2015, 7, 2016, 16. 2017 was a very high rate and that was in large part I think because Lance Stroll DNF like the first seven races of the season as he came to grips with the uh, mechanical grip entire compounds but it was also the year that the mm-hmm. sport was transitioning to the much wider bigger bodies they'd gone to sure. the bigger wider tire so there was some transition there 2018 it dropped to 17 2019 there was a ridiculously low DNF rate of 11% 2020 16 2021 was very low at 13 and then 2022 it's surged once again to 18.8%. And my bad, my friend. When I was putting this together, I probably should have made that graphic a little bit more legible for you, but I promise <laughs> I'll do better next time. It's all good. Hey, Mark, why don't we take a quick break here? We're already
1: 20 minutes into this thing and then we come back and then we'll start uh, talking about some of the really big news that's uh, dropped uh, this great. week, especially this new technical directive uh, from that came down from the FIA earlier today on Thursday regarding porpoising and all that. So we'll talk about that in just a a few moments after we take a break for a message from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. It's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another
0: day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
1: Okay, welcome back. And yes, big news that uh, dropped uh, earlier today is that uh, the FIA is basically banned bouncing cars. So this is a bit of a it's a bit of a tricky one to get your your mind around but uh, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. So let me just uh pull up the the technical directive here. This is a statement that dropped from the FIA on Thursday which reads, quote, "A technical directive has been issued to give guidance to the teams about the F- the measures the FIA intends to take to tackle the problem. This include these include one, closer scrutiny of the planks and skids both in terms of their design and the observed wear." 2. The definition of a metric based on the car's vertical acceleration that will give a quantitative limit for acceptable level of vertical oscillations. The exact mathematical formula for this metric has still been analyzed by the FIA, and the Formula One teams have been invited to contribute to this process. In addition to these short-term measures, the FIA will convene a technical meeting with the teams in order to define measures that will reduce the propensity of the cars to exhibit such phenomena in the medium term. End quote. Right. So let's break that down. So basically what they're saying when they're talking about vertical oscillations is porpoising. And we've talked about this uh, quite a bit. We've had some explanations as to what porpoising is. It's basically when the cars are bobbing up and down and just try and make it really simple it's the fact that they're kind of losing the effects of the ground effects pulling them uh, closer to the, uh, the the ground they kind of get that sort of that, that that suction then they lose it so they they bounce up and down so the vertical oscillations obviously the 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 less vertical oscillation that you have and the flatter that is going to kind of be think of like a um, Think of it dropping like a small pebble into a pond. You get those really nice kind of like small kind of like low waves compared to like a big sawtooth, jagged, really close together peaks and valleys, which would be some of the more... Violent examples uh, of of porpoising, which is obviously going to be a lot more punishing on, on a driver. I mean, if those those oscillations are longer and they're not so, there's not so much vertical displacement, it's going to be a little bit kinder on the driver's body. I mean, I, I think that image of Lewis Hamilton gingerly pulling himself out of the car and taking you know a couple of minutes to actually extract himself out of the car is something that will stick with a lot of us uh, for for a long time, and then kind of see. Watch uh Lewis kind of do the old man hobble up the pit lane afterwards was was quite something to see. I mean, honestly. So this kind of makes like a, a lot of sense. So there what they're gonna do is they will observe, see how far that these cars are, are displacing up and down vertically, and then they'll be able to, to, to measure that. And then they're also looking at where the 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 wear is, so on the on the both on the planks and the skids on the car. So basically anywhere where those uh, th- those uh components on the car come into contact with the track because you're going to get some friction you're going to get some damage and basically with the wood plank you're going to get like a little bit of like almost like a sandpaper effect so they'll be able to see what's going on and then i guess basically what they're going to do from there if there's too much porpoising they're going to make them do what raise the right height right mark
0: yeah absolutely i think right from the top To be fair, and you know, I should probably reverse this train a little bit earlier today as this news was breaking. I was basically messaging you saying you need to figure this out because I cannot wrap my head around what is happening here. But now that I think that we've had a couple of hours to process and review and listen and read, I think that this is a pretty bold move and a very brave move by the FIA. And I actually agree with it. And I actually very much agree with the way that they're operationalizing this technical directive. So they could have done this in a way that could have potentially flattened the field, but could also have punished the teams who were able to develop a car and engineer out the porpoising. And if you look at Red Bull, they have done an exceptional job engineering their car. This porpoising effect- does not exist in the Red Bull garage. Sergio and of course, Max are riding pretty comfortably in this year's Red Bull car. And I think it would have been horrifying from a competition perspective, if they had implemented changes that would have negated the benefits of their engineering accomplishments. So First off, from the top, this is not going to necessarily negatively hinder Red Bull and nor should it. Kudos to them. They've been able to excel based on the new regulations. I think where this is going to get really interesting is what is that measure or that metric that The FIA, and of course, they haven't determined this. I think it's going to be a collaborative process over the next few hours going into free practice three after FP1 and FP2. It's going to be, how are they going to work with the stakeholders, the teams, Formula One, and the rest of the governing body to determine how they measure that oscillation. So when you talk about vertical oscillation, you're basically talking about how much the car is bouncing. It's going to be Mm -hmm. really interesting to determine what their thresholds of allowance are, when is it safe, when is it okay, and when does it exceed a threshold that they deem to be safe for the drivers. So I think that's going to be interesting, and all of this is going to happen very, very quick. But ultimately the teams that are going to be punished, and rightfully so, are those teams that weren't able to engineer this out of their configuration. Because what The FIA is basically going to say is we are going to work with everybody, but we're ultimately going to dictate a safety threshold that you cannot bounce more than this. And if you bounce more than this, we are going to punish you. But what they're going to say is we're going to tell you what your safe setup and what your safe configuration is because we need to look out for the health and safety of the drivers. In a way, the FIA is saving the teams from themselves and it's saving the drivers from themselves because ultimately the teams in the spirit of competition are going to push their drivers to be as uncomfortable as possible to get maximum performance out of the car. So what we're going to see is teams like Ferrari, they could see a very real performance negation because they are going to be required to lift that car. Mercedes, they're going to be required to lift that car to get it into that tolerable threshold that's going to be dictated by the FIA. And of course, to your earlier point, there could be fierce penalties as a result of this. Now, I'm going to quickly read something here. And this is out of AMS, which is a big motorsports journal in Germany. This is a translation, so it may not be totally accurate, but it does a pretty good job of setting, what, or setting up what this means. And I quote, Once the FIA has determined a safe setup, quote unquote, for each individual car, ground clearance, spring rates and damper settings and aerodynamic configuration may not be changed. So the FIA is going to work with Formula One and the teams to dictate what that safe setup is for these cars. The only exceptions will be if the team actually wants to set it even higher, which would make it even less bouncy and even more comfortable for the drivers. If there's weather changes, if there's adjustments of cooling requirements, tire pressures, and front wing setup. If a competitor wishes to return to a previously used setup, they must first prove to the FIA that these setups meet the safety cry. So ultimately, what happened here is the teams demonstrated in an inability to put their drivers in safe cars. Now, all of this said, I'm giving the FIA some credit. But at the end of the day, it was the FIA in collaboration with Formula One that came up with the regulations that led to this porpoising issue to begin with. So <laughs> there's still some blame to be sh- uh, shared around. Now for 2023, phenomena such as bouncing or porpoising will be ruled out entirely. So the the regulations for 2023 are going to be significantly altered to engineer out the likelihood or possibility of this happening again. So all of this said- I think this is going to bring a lot of the teams in the field closer together, but it's going to create some very real separation in the championship that if Ferrari is going to have to sacrifice some of that top end performance to get their porpoising under control, we're just creating an environment where Red Bull, again, deservedly so, could run away with this championship very quickly
1: yeah it really is kind of fascinating how these things have all turned around right and it's 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 interesting because we've kind of been wondering will one team really nail it when it comes to the new regulations and I guess we, we've just been so used to over the, the the past all basically decade that 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 team would be uh, Mercedes. I mean, you could never really count out uh, Red Bull because I mean they've got a design team led by Adrian Newey, who's one of the brilliant minds that's been around Formula One for for literally decades now. But it, it's just interesting now that we've we've had these eight races, how it's really th- this w- we found this uh, equilibrium. But what really fascinates me is that when it comes to solving this problem of uh, porpoising, which is sort of kind of gone and then come back, it sort of pops up, uh, I guess, uh, depending on which, which which track it is. And I thought that it, it might start to disappear once we saw the teams starting to introduce some of their their upgrades that we typically see each uh, year in around the Spanish Grand Prix in May. But I it just uh, does, does do you not find it interesting that they decided to go through the, you know, quote-unquote, um, you know, safety uh, umbrella or roots or whatever you want to call it so when to, to solve the porpoising issue? Or did you expect them to go like a different way? Or did you expect them to get involved
0: uh, at all? I wasn't confident that they were going to get involved at all. But I think ultimately after what we saw in Baku and given the sheer number of drivers that were being very vocal, Lewis and Daniel Ricciardo and, and Carlos Sainz, I think they were put in an unenviable position where they realized that, ultimately the teams aren't on a rapid enough design curve where they're going to be able to engineer this out we've got to step in for the safety of the drivers because again their principal role you know officiating governing it's it's officiating the safety of the sport so it was good to see and i think the grand prix drivers association the gpda and their directors have probably got to feel pretty good about this as well because i think in recent years the drivers increasingly have been frustrated because they haven't felt that they're Their concerns around safety have been heard. And, you know, I just got one other quick note here as well. And I picked this up in a Spaces chat earlier today, and it's not something that had occurred to me. And obviously prior to this year, when we were running 13 inch wheels, we had way fatter tires. So the sidewalls of the tires were way fatter. When you go to a bigger wheel, the width of the tire has to shrink and it has to harden because it has to be able to carry the weight of the car. So this year we went to 18 inch wheels from 13 inch wheels, which means that the sidewall is dramatically smaller. Well, Under the old regulations, a significant amount of the suspension was itself the wheel, the tire. The tire itself functioned as a component within the assembly. This year, when you go to that 18-inch wheel and that stiff, ultra-low-profile tire – You are getting no suspension functionality from the tire at all, and typically that's fine, but you would offset it by softening the inboard suspension so your actual dampers, you would soften them to compensate for the fact that you're not getting any suspension action from the tires. Well, this year, because of the ground effects, that downforce that's being generated under the floor of the car, they've actually had to stiffen the suspension. So there's been this whole slew of different things that have led to it. It's not just the ground effects. It's not just that we're generating downforce from the underside of the car, but it's the fact that we've gutted the sidewall of these tires and we're getting no suspension from those. And then furthermore, to ensure that we're generating downforce under the cars and to keep the ride height where you want it, we've stiffened the inboard suspension significantly. So it's been this perfect storm of different things that have led to led to this outcome yeah
1: that that's that's really interesting i never even uh, thought of that uh, before but that that's a great observation wherever that, uh, that that came from and and rightfully so another thing that i was thinking about too when it comes to like the safety and the health of the drivers is the obvious one that i just mentioned a couple of minutes ago was the you know gingerly walking difficult removing himself from the car lewis hamilton but another thing i was wondering too is like when because I didn't really think about it uh, before today until I saw the word oscillating. And as soon as I thought about oscillating, started thinking about physics way back in the day in high school, I started thinking of waveforms. And then, I, so then it really kind of really brought into uh, mind sort of like that side view of the car, rather. Because, I mean, we get sort of these front views where we see them violently bumping up and down. But then I was thinking, watching the car from the side view, sort of kind of riding that to uh, those peaks and the valleys of the... Of that, uh, that, that waveform as the car oscillates up and down, right? I was wondering, well, maybe there's like other things as well in play that maybe aren't getting uh, mentioned as much. I, I don't know how much of a factor it might be, if it's a factor at all, but I wonder if that uh, with the, the the cars bouncing up and down like that, if that affects the, the the drivers with like almost like a kind of vertigo to a certain extent. Can you imagine? I mean, obviously, like the physical jolt that you're taking that, I mean, Lewis was complaining about with uh, just the, you know, the physical discomfort that uh, that he was in and basically that, you know, his back was going numb. And what was the other one that he felt cold or whatever, which, you know, I'm like, oh, dude, are you, are you having like nerve damage out there? That does not sound good. But I was wondering about things like that because kind of just wonders, makes you wonder what's going on with the inside the inner ear. But maybe the effect just does not last long enough to really become disorientating like that. I don't
0: know. It's just, the, a, just a thought. I think you're onto something. And I think the other consideration, and it's not something that we've talked about, although it's been widely discussed in the community, is how much of the reliability issues that Ferrari are having this year are related to the porpoising issues that their cars are suffering. These gearboxes, these fuel cells, these power units, the turbochargers, they're not designed to operate under these type of conditions. So, you know, we criticize Ferrari, but the reality is they're probably turning up this power unit because they want to be as competitive as possible, but then their their entire drivetrain is being subjected to forces that they were never designed to be subjected to because of the porpoising issue. So, It'll be interesting to see if their reliability issues clear up, if they're also required to raise the height of their cars to negate the impacts of the porpoising on their drivers.
1: Here we go. I, I guess I should uh, unmute myself uh, here before I start uh, talk, <laughs> <laughs> talking again. But yeah, you know, it, it's interesting just when you look at some of these uh, different uh, issues that, that are going on. Those are just uh, a couple more. I'm sorry, I was just a little bit uh, distracted there because while you are talking, I was just trying to see if I could pull something up here because we just had uh, something drop in the live chat that is uh, certainly worthy of uh, checking out. And that was from uh, SHT who says, uh, Charles Leclerc to take a 10-place grid penalty after Ferrari are taking new power units. And turbo in his car, so uh, I'll take a look here, see if I can verify anything else. Yeah, somewhere that should else
0: be power unit number three and turbocharger yep. number four. So you are allowed teams, drivers, cars are allowed to have three power units. Um, so third won't result in a penalty, but the fourth turbocharger will. And you know, when we were on with Tim last week, we were talking about the fact that they may try to Frankenstein a power unit together using a, a turbo, either TC one or TC two. Uh, yep. Obviously, TC three was destroyed. TC4 is now the option, which means that that's a 10 grid place penalty. But even more alarming, I think than that is that if they're now on power unit three, how quickly are they going to have to take a grid penalty by introducing power unit number four in the next four or five races?
1: Yeah, so we'll we'll keep an eye out here while we're uh while we're uh, you know recording the rest of the show and see if uh, anything else uh pops up here. I'm I'm not seeing anything immediately, but uh, that doesn't mean that it just uh, it's just uh, it might be breaking news. At the moment. So, hey, why don't we take another quick break here? When we come back, uh, we'll pick it up on the other side. There's still plenty to talk about. And I don't know why, but I seem to have a story in here that is not in English. So we'll go on to something that is a little bit easier to read in the notes. And we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the show. Mark and Mark here breaking down all the latest news in Formula One on the eve of another Grand Prix weekend. This time in our home of Canada uh, and Montreal on uh, Ile Notre Dame and at uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Looking forward to that, uh, obviously. So, another big piece of news that dropped this week, and this one, just the, the term involved is really blowing my mind here. But Melbourne, the home of the Australian. Grand Prix, and has been for a good number of years now, has signed an extension to keep hosting Formula One, hosting the Grand Prix there, until 2035, and this also guarantees them five opening slots to the Formula One calendar during that time. Mark, this is a massive, massive deal. We've seen circuits get extensions for two years, three years, four years, five years, this is huge. (laughs) This is like a decade and a half extension. This is crazy.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I got to say, if I am Canada right now, if I am Bell, which is the telecommunications company that, that organizes that race, I am having these exact same conversations with Liberty because if I do not lock up my Grand Prix long-term, I may very well lose it. I think what is most juicy about this entire line of conversation is it wasn't necessarily that Melbourne was competing with another country to retain the Grand Prix. They were competing with Sydney, apparently, and you and I talked about this just before Christmas, Sydney... Sydney put in a fierce, fierce bid to steal the Grand Prix away from Melbourne, who, of course, stole it away from Adelaide all those years ago back in the early (laughs) 90s. But as far as I'm concerned, Melbourne is a stunningly gorgeous city, a fantastic host with Mm -hmm. a very good track. Sydney presumably, reportedly, would have been a temporary street circuit in the downtown core near the harbor but sydney very desperately tried to steal it away and there's some saltiness there's some saltiness from the melbourne organizers and i'd like to read you a quick quote co- or a couple of quick quotes here if i can find them one of the quotes here is actually from let me just see if i can dig this up i'm a terrible podcaster my friend uh bu- 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 bu, let me dig this up well, that's okay. I mean, I, I started talking here like for for like the last two years
1: during COVID, I hardly ever muted my mic during Teams meetings and Zoom <laughs> sessions. And last two weeks, when we've been recording here in our virtual studio, I've I've done it like two weeks in a row now. So shame on me, I guess. You know, I'm getting lazy, or I've gotten out of the whole Zoom thing now that uh, things have kind of gone back to normal. By the way, what the you just get there. That.
0: Thank you. For listeners at home, that is filler. That is Mark filling the air as I'm desperately trying to find the <laughs> quote that I should have had highlighted. But listen to this quote here. So this quote is from Premier Premier Piretet. So everyone listening in Australia is going to be furious with me. But his quote regarding the fact, and of course he represents the state in which Sydney is uh, situated. But his quote following the announcement that Melbourne was going to secure this race through 2035 was this. It's a loss for F1. That the race is going to be in melbourne that is all i can say he said it's going to be a really disappointing event for years to come until it comes to its rightful place in sydney formula wow. one is a global event and we are truly australia's only global city so i think in time <laughs> they will work that out good luck to melbourne Wow. wow. So to wow. me, great news to Sydney. It makes total economic sense that you want to lock this in now because you're going to get a bit of a discount as opposed to waiting a year or two or three years. It also guarantees that you're not going to be competing with another country. But there is some bitterness, some saltiness within the country of Australia. And it's alarming, um, some of those comments, to be perfectly honest. So if anyone in Australia wants to reach out and share a little bit more context about this, of course, the state in which Melbourne is situated is absolutely a I would say the bedrock of motorsports. It hosts on it hosts MotoGP. They've hosted the Formula One event at Albert Park in Melbourne for many, many years. So, good news. I think it's a lot of money, but it's probably a great deal relative to what it's going to cost to host a, a Formula One race in five years from now. Yeah,
1: but also interesting, too, because uh, regardless of the being guaranteed the, the season opener five times of that 13-year extension, it seems for the remaining eight years or whatever whatever it is, that they're still going to be on the front-loaded end of the calendar. They're going to be in the first three, four races or something uh, like that. Hey, but uh, sticking with the, the Australian theme here, I want to just uh, talk now a little bit uh, about uh, Danny Ricardo. I mean, we, we've talked about this over the last uh, couple of weeks. I think maybe it was two, three weeks ago. I, I think it was. It started when uh, Zach Brown, the CEO of uh, McLaren, was basically saying that. Daniel hasn't been living up to the expectations that McLaren has. He hasn't lived up to his own personal expectations. And then uh, Ricardo kind of echoed that, but he's kind of walked that back now a little bit. I'm talking about Danny Ricardo, uh, not uh, not Zach Brown. But um, anyways, he almost sees it as a, a, a bit of a compliment. I'm just trying to pull out the, uh, the, the little bit of this uh, comment here. He says, uh, quote, I know the team cares about me and therefore there's an expectation as to where I can. Perform and where my ability lies. So with Zach's comments, I am well aware of how I am doing. I take it as a roundabout way of a compliment because he also believes I can be doing better. I'm my biggest critic, and I don't take that stuff to heart. A bit of pressure is good. It's not something I take personally or negatively. End quote. So what do you make of that, Mark? Is is that, uh, is that Danny Rick being uh, realistic? Is that uh, Danny Rick being a little bit in denial? Is this uh, Danny Rick maybe accepting that uh, the end is nigh uh, or is it a little bit of uh, all of the above? What do you think?
0: Yeah, maybe a little bit of all of the uh, above, and, and you know obviously he's been a big critic of his own performance really for many years. His first year at Renault wasn't super successful. He scored a couple of podiums in his second and final year with that team. Last year was not a great year, despite the fact that he had that shock win, shock win, and I emphasize that in Monza based on some unique circumstances. Although a win is a win, and he put himself in a position to take that Grand Prix, uh, That's but fair. this year's this year's been this year's been a little bit different. I I think presumably he also needs to be starting to build himself up a little bit. That if he senses that there's a possibility he may not be back with this team, he seriously needs to start projecting some outward positivity and confidence in his performance because ultimately his management team is going to need to find somewhere for him to drive next year, and if he's constantly down on himself and questioning his performance and agreeing with some of the comments that Zach Brown are making in in public, it's going to make it very difficult for his management team to help secure him an agreement somewhere else. So I think part of this is salesmanship on his behalf too, that, hey, look, you know what? I think things are coming together. I feel like I'm making some great strides. We're doing great things with this team. It's all going to come. If he's constantly down on himself and questioning his performance, it makes it really difficult for his team to find him a ride next year. And you know, if it's not F1, maybe it's somewhere else, but I think he needs to start selling himself and there needs to be a degree of salesmanship through all of this as well. My friend, you're muted.
1: Oh, man, it's good. It's, it's going to be a
0: long night. Here we go. You, you see me
1: talking and the, the lips are moving, but no sound is coming out. So that's, you know, I guess uh, depending on your point of view, that might not be a, a bad thing. But uh, hey, just pour egg on my face uh, tonight. But um, it's kind of moving along, sticking uh, with the, the this theme. Oscar Piastri is uh, apparently closing in on a deal that would see him uh, land with uh, Williams starting in uh, 2023. Uh, we've been sort of speculating what might happen at Williams uh, for next year. I think that that Alex Albon is going to be back uh, unless uh, something uh, drastic uh, happens there. But we've been speculating about our boy, Nicholas Latifi. Nicky being uh, a Canadian driver from uh, Toronto. Has not been a great season for him so far. I had it written down somewhere in my notes. I think that his best uh, result this year, I think it was like 15th or 16th, you know, not really... Yeah, his best result is uh, 16th uh, this year, and uh, you know he's just not been you know looking good out there. Sadly, so I think that if anybody's under pressure, not that Williams is out there to win races, but certainly when you compare him to what Alex Albon is doing, and uh, that that delta between the teammates, it's just uh, it's it's not a good place uh, right now for Nick Latifi. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Ultimately, Oscar, the young driver, is effectively a product of the Alpine system. The challenge for Alpine is that Alonso is all but confirmed for 2023 and Ocon's under contract until the end of 2024, so they have nowhere to put him. This could be a couple of things. It could be a signal of a loan deal, which is, hey, look, we're effectively going to loan him to Williams, start letting him get some reps at the Formula One level, and then migrate him back over to Alpine, Presumably, when Fernando Alonso decides to retire, and I think we would all expect that maybe that would be in the next two or three years, or it could potentially be the sign of something much, much bigger and collaborative. And, and by that, I mean it could ultimately be a power unit partnership between Renault and alpine and and the williams team and obviously williams been partnered with mercedes now since 2014 uh obviously they had a little bit of they had quite a bit of success in 2014 uh they scored a couple of podiums right through 2016 they had that podium in 2017 in baku but they have been a disaster since then with all due respect to that that fluke luck podium that george russell got last year at spa this has been a woefully uncompetitive team and i think the reality is mercedes feeds a lot of teams on the grid. Alpine, Renault feeds no teams on the grid aside from their factory team. And I think they would be very happy to have a customer team. And I think Williams would be very happy to be the sole customer team of somebody like Williams. So the speculation, again, this has been reported, but goodness knows where the source is coming from, where these stories are coming from. But the story is that Piastri could come with a power unit deal. So it could be that they land an Alpine driver because they could effectively become an Alpine team, which I think would be very, very, very exciting and inject some really great storylines into the 2023 campaign. The other story that has been gaining a lot of traction recently, and again, there are no substantive sources for this, but ultimately that Latifi would be replaced as soon as the British Grand Prix, meaning that he would get the opportunity to drive in one- canadian grand prix of course the british grand prix is a fast follow but that he would be gone replaced by oscar by that so oscar is ready to go he's obviously got significant uh he's got significant sim time based on the 2022 calendar i don't know that that's necessarily going to happen i think it could be quite disruptive to the team but i think if you're williams and every constructor's point matters because you need to cash in on prize money at the end of the season and Latifi is delivering 0 points and 0 top 10 performances while his teammate has delivered a couple of them what is the risk in swapping that driver out and i think the risk is probably less what would happen on the track because i think it's fair to assume that Oscar would perform at least at par with what Nikki's done and it would give him the opportunity to get some reps to build on for the rest of his career i think the big piece is that team is still fairly dependent on some big sponsors, including Safina, that come part and parcel to having Nikki in that car. And if the team's okay with the disruption of potentially losing those sponsors mid-season, maybe that's a move that they could ultimately do. So what we know, Oscar probably going to go there next year, possibly a power unit switch. Maybe that driver swap happens sooner than next year.
1: Yeah, it'd be kind of uh, interesting to see if that happens or not. I mean, uh, uh, Williams and Renault is obviously a partnership that has had success in the past. I'm looking at a 118 diecast model of Damon Hill's uh, Williams Uh, And that was a Renault power going back to uh, 1996, the FW18, I think that was. But uh, hopefully if they do partner up with Renault again, they're a little bit more successful going back to a historic engine supplier than uh, Honda was with the McLaren. Just, Just saying, just putting it out there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because uh, Piastri is a name that's been floating out there for a little while. I mean, his name was bandied about quite a bit uh, this time last year when the whole silly season kind of kicked up and started getting going in earnest about who might go where. And uh, there was talk at that point uh, that he might drop into a seat somewhere in Formula One. Obviously, that uh, didn't happen. I mean, another guy whose name was uh, thrown around this time was uh, Nick DeFries. Obviously, that didn't happen either. But that, uh, you know, I guess the big difference is, you know, fast forward a year is like you say, is that uh, perhaps if Piastri does get a drive with Williams, that he's going to bring the Ren- or Renault power units uh, with him. So we'll uh, follow this uh, story and see how it uh, develops in the weeks and months or perhaps uh, days ahead. Okay, so let's go on to the next one. Okay, so Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, has uh, thrown out there or at least uh, put out some ideas of uh, a possible salary cap or perhaps his version thereof. So why don't you take
0: this one away, Mark? There's a quote here from Sebastian Vettel that I think is pretty agreeable and I and I quote um, and this is from uh, planetf1.com who's quoting the race but Sebastian says it's just a funny coincidence that it's the first time that teams can make money with racing in Formula 1 and then something like the salary cap for drivers pops up said Vettel. Just thinking, isn't it funny? It's interesting if you follow where it's coming From this proposal. Obviously, we have a budget cap now, which pushes the model towards earnings for all of the teams. I think maybe they should be capped in terms of having certain fixed earnings and everything beyond that should go to a certain pool to do great things with it and have a positive global impact. I can imagine the response will be that that topic will disappear. So I'll leave it to you. So basically (laughs) what he's saying here is that for the first time in history, Formula One teams collectively are controlling their spending, which means that if you have a cost cap of $135 million, which is what it's going to be next year, you add on $20 or $30 million for drivers and some of those executive salaries, say $150 million, anything you earn beyond that in sponsorship and prize money, that is profit for the owners of that team. That is profits, because you can't reinvest it into the team because of the cost cap. So what he's saying is, hey, isn't it funny that for the first time, F1 teams are making potentially boatloads of money, and now they want to cap the earnings of the driver. So I totally get where he's coming from on this one. And like we talked about last week, and we talked about on a couple of spaces over the last couple of days, ultimately, if the drivers don't feel heard by the FIA when their concerns about safety are being openly and kind of discussed in public and in the media pen and on podcasts, etc. And furthermore, they feel that their salaries are being limited by a cost cap that isn't necessary given the fact that teams are earning significant amounts of money. Maybe mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for them to come together and organize a little bit, especially since at the end of the day, they are the ones that are putting their lives at risk every single time they get into a car and I get it. It's, it's a choice, but ultimately they're the ones that are risking their lives, not the technical director, not the team principal, no one else in that organization. So I I kind of agree with him. Now I have a bit of a, an alternative take or alternative rant on Seb Vettel, but kind of want to hear your thoughts on, on his quote here as well.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think I'm just going to sort of like maybe build on that because you just mentioned the whole putting their lives at risk thing. And that kind of leads in nicely to a quote that I found here from uh, Madeline Coleman in an article on uh, SI.com. And uh, Max had to say at the uh, the Friday press conference, quote, I think no one really knows what it, where it's going to go. But from my side, it's completely wrong because I think at the moment F1 is becoming more and more popular and everyone is making more and more money, including the teams, Formula One everyone is benefiting so why should the drivers with their ip rights and everything be capped Drivers who actually bring the show and put their lives at risk because we do eventually. So for me, it's completely wrong. But also not only for that because in all the junior categories, if you see how many of those drivers have a sponsor or a backer who eventually will have a certain prevent percentage of their income and in potentially Formula One or whatever, I think that is going to limit that a lot because we'll never get their return in money if you get a cap. End quote. So a little bit of an alternative uh, view from Max, and then uh, Valtteri Bottas, the Alfa Romeo driver, had to say quote. I'm sure no drivers voting for the salary cap because we feel like we earn a decent amount from doing what we do, risking our life and working as hard as we can and actually being the center of the show. End quote. And then Lando basically parroted what Max had to say, uh, saying, quote, it's difficult enough to get into Formula One at all. So as soon as you have the backing where you have an investor as a driver, they obviously want their money back at some point and you're going to have to do that. If it gets capped and so on, it's much harder and will interest uh, people much less to ever invest in young drivers and to invest into people having chances to get into Formula One in the first place, end quote. So I think those are some very interesting uh, comments from those Three drivers, especially the the last one there from uh, Lando, uh, sort of really bringing up that uh, financial perspective of it. Which you know, honestly, I never really looked at it that way. That uh, you know, sponsorship money or backers or whatever kind of see it as a bit of an investment. To, to back the right driver and get them into Formula One where they there's a potential to obviously make a lot of money, but it's like anything else, right? So some of them, you know, they're not just doing it just for for the level. I mean, they're doing it for, you know, I'm sure for the uh, enjoyment as well, but it's also a business thing as well. So they're going to want to get their,
0: their, their money back plus a little bit on top at some point the concept of a salary cap is such a north american idea and it makes sense and it works for the nfl and it works for the nhl and it works for the nba i think for a lot of our european listeners it's probably a very foreign concept like we don't we don't cap in, in european football we don't cap the earnings collectively of any given team like we do in north america and i think yeah. the threat for the the sport is not only could you see the drivers organize to resist this concept But also if we're Formula One and we give these drivers exponential amounts of exposure and all of a sudden we cap their earnings, what's to stop a NASCAR team from scooping in and offering them a big guaranteed contract for three or four years? What's to stop a sassy IndyCar team coming over and starting to scoop up some of these talent? Like, I think it could be a very problematic move. Now, before we move on to the next topic, just while we're discussing Sebastian Vettel, I wanted to share a a, a little... I don't know if it's an anecdote or just kind of an observation, but he has been, especially since his transition away from Ferrari, which I think is probably from a culture perspective, pretty uniform and pretty fierce, and probably doesn't allow a significant amount of personal expression. One of the things that Sebastian's been really great at since he exited the Scuderia is expressing himself and advocating for social causes that he believes in. And I've been all for it and I've celebrated it, and I've cheered him on. But Today, he showed up at the Canadian Grand Prix wearing a t shirt that said, Stop, and I'm quoting, stop mining tar sands. Canada's climate crime. And for those of you that are listening outside of Canada, Canada is a extremely resource rich country in terms of minerals, in terms of oil, in terms of water, in terms of lumber. Now we don't necessarily do a great job of monetizing that. And there are some very strong environmental forces in this country that help regulate how we do it. But one of the things that our economy has relied on Pretty heavily in recent decades is the oil patch. When we talk about the oil patch, there is a broad section of Canada, particularly in Alberta, where we have a significant amount of oil. Now, Our oil has to be extracted in a very different manner than it would be in the Persian Gulf, the Arabian Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico. We can't simply drill into the ground and suck it out. It is enmeshed in sand. So the process that we use to extract that tar or that oil is by using a huge amount of fresh water to basically separate the oil from the water. So it is very resource intensive. It is a very expensive way to get oil, but it's worked when the value of oil is high. So basically that's what he's speaking to just to provide a little bit of context. So he shows up at the Grand Prix wearing this shirt. I get it. But I think the challenge for me here is while I've been a big advocate of all of his social causes This one rubs me the wrong way, partly because it hits home a little bit, but furthermore, because he's walking around the pit, the garage, wearing a t-shirt emblazoned with the word Aramco. My friend, if you are going to take a stand against the extraction of oil in Canada, you don't get to draw a line in the sand pun intended and say, hey, I'm going to criticize oil extraction in this case, but I am going to turn a blind eye to the fact that my chief in principle sponsor for the team that pays my salary is also a petroleum producer. And again, this isn't a criticism of what's happening in Canada. I want to stay away from that. This isn't a criticism of Aramco because unfortunately, the world is still very much dependent on petroleum products. And hopefully there's a future where we can lessen that dependency, but I just find it very hypocritical of Seb that he's taking a stand against the resource extraction in Canada, but he's also being paid entirely by a company whose chief and principal form of profiting is from resource extraction itself. So Seb, again, I love you. I love that you take a stand, but you can't take a stand and turn a blind eye to the fact that one of the Aston Martin chief sponsors is themselves a resource extractor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's 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 a difficult uh, rope tightrope to walk at times, isn't it? I, I made mean, you
0: very uncomfortable yeah. with that one because you're like, oh, Hamilton, where are you going with this <laughs> one?
1: <laughs> no, that, that, that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, if you've got an opinion, by all means uh, go for it. It's just uh, I, I don't really know what I could add to that that you haven't already said uh, in, in your little rant there over the last uh, couple of minutes. <laughs> so, but w- why don't we just, uh, before we take into the last break, why don't we just uh, transition uh, w- away from that uh, because uh, we've um, been talking about it. It's it, This story's popped up a number of times over the last uh, number weeks and months, and that's uh, possibly about uh, Formula One returning to South Africa to uh, Kyalami, and uh, apparently this is getting much closer to actually happening, and according to Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali that, uh, well, apparently he flew straight from Baku to South Africa to have talks about going back there, and they could be on the schedule as early as next year, which is a a bit of a mind-blower.
0: I am extremely extremely excited for this track. And admittedly, I didn't know a lot about it until the topic began surfacing last year, the year before as a possibility. Uh, We talked about this previously that Kyalami has been significantly reworked and the current owner has invested a significant amount of money bringing it to FIA grade one standards. It looks exceptional. I haven't raced it myself because I don't have iRacer, but I've watched plenty of videos on YouTube of people who have captured their I racer sessions on this track and it looks exceptional. So just from a racing performance or a racing perspective, I think this would add tremendous value to the calendar. Getting a Grand Prix onto the African continent is also a huge win, I think for the sport. It helps cement F1 as the truly global global mega sport amongst global mega sports. Uh and I think culturally it's a really really good thing too. The only I think the only downside to this is you got to start looking at what the calendar is going to be next year. And it's kind of like the silly season for the calendar. Like we know Canada is going to be there. We know Austin's going to be there. Miami, we know Vegas is going to be there. China might come back next year, although they maybe don't, but Japan's going to be there and Singapore is going to be there. And then all of a sudden you have this cluster of races, including spa, and it's not so certain they're going to be there. So we, probably expect that france is going to drop off unless they can get into some sort of rotational basis with another race but there's now a very strong possibility that spa despite the fact that they've invested significant amounts of money installing new grandstands and smoothing out some of the more dangerous corners in this off season this could be the last year for spa because there may simply not be room for them on the calendar and there's a a couple of stories recently that spoke to the fact that regionally formula one is now satisfied with Zandvoort that zanvort can function as kind of the F one's regional representative. That Zandvoort again. It's a great track. It's near a fairly dense metropolitan space. Spa isn't. Spa is difficult to get to. There isn't a lot of accommodation. There's little ways of monetizing that event beyond simply the ticket sales. Zandvoort on the on the other hand is close to a metropolitan area. There's great mass transit. There's tons of accommodation. There's ways to monetize that event. So. Kyle I want to see it. I think it's going to be fantastic. It's just unfortunate that it's likely going to come at the expense of Spa.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you really outlined all the sort of the pros and the cons and all the things that, uh, that, that are kind of working against Spa at the moment. But if you look at it, I mean, even with the new grandstands and everything that they have there and despite it being the one of the if not the longest circuit on the calendar it only has room for about 70,000 uh, spectators which it's a lot of people but if you put it in context they put in like what is it, 130 150,000 people in at silverstone on the, right. the you know the race day on uh, for for the british grand prix and that's pretty impressive because silverstone isn't you know exactly accessible compared to some of these other places. No. I mean Zandfort is great because it's right there, it's on the coast like you say. I mean it's it's in very close to a dense metropolitan area. It's super easy to get to by transit. I mean heck, people even ride their bikes there, which is a very Dutch thing to do. But uh yeah, so I mean there, there's a lot of things uh, going for it, but like you say and the, the, the monetization part of it that uh you know, apart from selling tickets, there's not a lot that they can do for spot which is which would be really disappointing because I love Spa. It is one of the classic Formula One tracks. It's a great, great race, but unfortunately, it is kind of like out in the middle of nowhere, which is a, a big knock against it. Unfortunately.
0: Nate Saunders, F1 Associate Editor for ESPN writes, with with Kyalami, F1 would officially hit the limit of 24 races that were outlined in the Concord Agreement. So the Concord Agreement in 2020 was the most recent agreement between the FIA, the teams and Formula One. They all agreed that they would be cool with having up to 24 races on a calendar. So again, when people start sympathizing with teams and mechanics, oh, there's too many races, the teams agreed to this because they know it injects more value into the championship and they could take home more prize money. But what he says here is that next year we could potentially hit That limit. Kyalami would join next year as a new race, along with Las Vegas, which is, of course, a new race. Qatar, that was on the race on the calendar in 2021, was only there as an interim race to help fill in the calendar, but it joins officially in 2023. Of course, it is taking a step away from the championship this year because they're hosting the World Cup, but in that year, we are already going to see three new races. So we hit the cap and some of the races that we're going to be seeing this year will no longer be a part of the championship. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's take uh, one final break. We'll
1: come back and we'll start uh, previewing the Canadian Grand Prix, which gets underway for once, not in a couple of hours as it usually is, whatever we sit down to uh, record, but we'll uh, get underway uh, tomorrow with the FP1. Anyways, uh, one final break. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, well, welcome back to the show, and it is that uh, time to start uh, looking ahead to the weekend of racing that we have uh, coming up, and I'm, I'm really excited for, for, for Canada. I mean, even though it is in Montreal, which is on the other side of the country, it, uh it's, it's cool to be able to to, to to sit down in the middle of the day, watch it uh, in real time and 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 know that th- this is happening right here, right now, because I'll be honest, I find it very, very difficult to get up at uh, five in the morning, especially on a Sunday to watch uh, the, the the races live. But uh, any that uh, hit uh, North America, uh, South America, obviously, and some of the Asian races, uh, especially some of the night races, uh, the, the way that the timing works out will uh, go very, very late on a Saturday evening evening or even into the early hours of sunday morning which for someone like me who's a night person i stay up till very very late hours on a weekend especially they you know that that's just fine to me i have no problem doing that but i can even power through and pull an all-nighter if i want to but i couldn't i I just uh i'm just not a morning person but anyhow i've uh digressed uh, enough so let's uh, take a look at uh, the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend so it's uh, being held at uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve which is at uh, Ile Notre-Dame in the middle of the, the St Lawrence uh, Seaway which used to be the rowing venue for the 1976 uh, Olympic uh, games that were held in uh, in Montreal so like we were saying off the top of the show it is the f- first Canadian Grand Prix to be held since uh, 2019. Obviously, didn't happen last year. It didn't happen the year before because of COVID and all that uh, nasty stuff that uh, we've been through. But Canadian Grand Prix actually goes back to 1961. We've been in Montreal since 1978. and Before that, it was at Mosport, which is uh, southwest of uh, Toronto. I think by about, uh, I don't know, I think it was about 70-80 kilometers, something like that. And Then it was also at Mont Tremblant, which is about 150 kilometers to the northwest of of, uh, of Montreal, so it's really cool. I, you know, I, I think Montreal's a great track. It's got some uh, iconic corners on there. You have the uh, the Senna S, which you when you leave the, the start finish at the beginning of the race, you have a slight dog leg, a little flick to the right. Then they bring it back hard left then hard right, and it's a bit narrow there, so there's always a little bit of a drama. And then you have the very very iconic and uh, aptly named Wall of Champions, which is uh, this bit of concrete wall that's just at the Beginning of the start finish straight because they de- come down the back straight to where the pit entrance is, and then they go into the chicane, which is a, a right left uh, combo. And so many well known drivers have put their car into that wall, and then therefore uh, therefore the, uh, the the name. Wall of uh, Champions, but we've also seen some pretty iconic moments. I mean, if you go back to, again, uh, like that to Fernando quote off the beginning of the show, I'm kind of blood dried a blank as to the year because you know the whole COVID gap in between. But remember when Lewis broke uh, Senna's uh, pole record at Montreal? Was it I guess 2017, 2018, and then in that uh, sort of post-raced interview, he was presented with one of Ayrton Senna's uh, you know race worn helmets. That was a, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool, and uh, obviously a Pretty, uh, pretty emotional moment uh, for uh for uh for for Lewis Hamilton. But I'm just uh, looking here, just at the uh, the wall of champions. So the, some of the names that uh, that have uh, tagged the wall there include world champions Damon Hill, Michael Schumacher, and Gilles Villeneuve, who crashed there all at the uh, the <laughs> the same year, 1999, when the the uh, the wall was you know rather. Inconveniently or unfortunately, uh, painted with the slogan "Welcome to Quebec," <laughs> and then uh, we've also seen Juan Pablo Montoya, uh, Carlos Sainz has also crashed into it as uh, Jensen Button, uh, and then even uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, tagged the wall there in uh, 2011. So the, the the list is long and uh, distinguished. There's some very well known uh, names in there, but uh, some stats now about the the, the track itself. Let me just uh, grab my notes here. It is uh, 4.36 kilometers or 2.71 miles. It's a 70-lap race. And the uh, lap record was set uh, by Valtteri Bottas back in uh, 2019. It was a 113.078. So going back to uh, 2019, the starting grid, row one, was uh, Sebastian Vettel on pole, uh, followed by Lewis Hamilton, uh, Charles Leclerc, Danny Ricardo was on outside of row two. Then you have Pierre Gasly and Valtteri Bottas in row three, Nico Hulkenberg and Lando Norris on row four. And then row five was Carlos Sainz and Kevin Magnuson. And then in the race itself, you had Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, and Charles Leclerc on the podium. Then rounding out the uh, top 10, you had Valtteri Bottas, uh, Max Verstappen, Danny Ricciardo, who was in with uh, Renault, his teammate uh, Nico Hulkenberg, Lance Stroll in the racing point uh, popping into P9, and then you had Danny Kvyat in the Toro Rosso. Uh, rounding out the top 10. And then you remember back in uh, 2019, maybe this is a uh, pushing memories again, uh, you know, pre-COVID, but that was the year that uh, when Sebastian was leading the race, he went off the track, went onto the grass and then came back on and was given a five second penalty because he was uh, ruled by the stewards to have uh, re-entered the uh, the track somewhat dangerously and uh, compromised the safety of uh, Lewis Hamilton. And that's ultimately what uh, really uh, influenced uh, the race. But looking back to 2019 and I know three years and one pandemic in between the, the last two runnings of the or this running and the previous running of the canadian grand prix is a long time considering we've gone from 13 to 18 inch wheels and, and everything like that and completely new cars but in 19 we had a one-stop race the front runners all pitted about uh, lap 26 to 33 for some of them that pushed a little bit further most of them started on the medians and uh, then after their pit stops Went on the uh, the the hard tires for a longer second stint. The the only exception to basically everyone when I looked at the uh, the lap charts and the pits uh, pit uh, pit stops, Max went the other way around. He went long on his opening stint on the hard tires and then went to the mediums uh, later in the race. Did it really pay off? Well, he only finished p uh, P5, so <laughs> there you go. It uh, you know I'll I'll leave that out there as to whether or not that was a uh, a worthy gamble by uh, Max uh, Verstappen. And, and then uh, I think I have one more stat here. So the uh, yeah the total race distance is just a uh, three hundred and five and a quarter kilometers. So Mark, what are we looking for this weekend at this race? Is is this a make or break uh, race for Ferrari's season? If not this weekend that that conversation is going to be had really really soon depending i think maybe on what happens this weekend in montreal
0: yeah i definitely want to touch on that a little bit but i kind of want to color uh the weekend for those that have maybe never been to montreal before so to contextualize this a little bit more in a lot of ways montreal is canada's melbourne where in, uh, in australia you have sydney which is the big dominant uh kind of national capital and then you have melbourne which is an you also just didn't beautiful-
1: compare sydney to toronto and didn't say it out loud did you
0: I did I did so <laughs> I, I don't know who I offended more people in Quebec or people in 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 Australia but in, in many ways Montreal was for a very long can't time Canada's biggest most important and its biggest business center uh, that shifted in the 70s and 80s that became. Toronto, Toronto is now the biggest city in Canada, but Montreal is still a huge metropolitan space and it is incredibly different than Toronto. It's very multicultural. Obviously the French language has a big role in that city. People often say it's a European city, but it is at a big event city. So concerts, festivals, uh and of course the Grand Prix have been a staple of life and a big part of the social fabric of that community now for decades. The event has been hosted in Montreal itself since 1978. The only exception was 2009 when course there was a bitter dispute between Bernie and the race organizers about uh, about what they were going to pay to continue hosting this event it was under threat a couple of years ago until the organizers spent several hundred million dollars investing in the track in the garages and things like that but the city itself embraces this event like nothing else and we had a lot of listeners reach out this week as they've been arriving in Montreal and of course when you get to Montreal you go downtown you check in your hotel and you hit Saint Catherine's which is kind of the big commercial boulevard and Everywhere they go, restaurants, department stores, stores, there's nothing but F1 memorabilia and signage everywhere. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that a lot of these folks have had when they get to Montreal is how much the city embraces it. And that's possible because the event is downtown. And I think races like Montreal in a lot of ways are the future of what Liberty sees Formula One being, which are these hybrid or dedicated tracks that are located near or central to a city core that spa that's kind of the history that is the past of formula Mm -hmm. one in places like Obviously, the new Qatar track, which is going to be downtown on the Cornish. And of course, Miami, which is in a kind of a built-up metropolitan space and relatively close to the city center. Montreal, which is downtown. Melbourne, which is downtown. That's kind of the future of Formula One. This track is exactly that. It is a big party and people start celebrating midweek. So I know based on what our listeners have been telling us, a lot of them have been arriving Tuesday and Wednesday and partying already. Now, in terms of what to expect this weekend, They've had torrential rain so far. It has been an absolute swimming pool at the track. It's expected to clear up. It's not going to be particularly warm this weekend, but I think for me, some of the big storylines are going to be, and they're very different. So when I was building out the outline for this podcast, I had built it out based on what you just said, which is. Is Mercedes going to be able to make some incremental improvements? Is Ferrari going to be able to recover some of those points? There's an 80-point deficit now. Is Red Bull going to struggle, or are they going to continue to build on that advantage? I think the storyline now is, will Red Bull potentially wrap up the championship? And I don't like making predictions because I'm terrible at it, but if the FIA introduces tdo 39 which is the technical directive that you and I were talking about earlier, this could put... Ferrari and Mercedes at a very significant disadvantage. It is not going to impact Red Bull. And Red Bull is already kind of leading the pack in terms of the development of their car and the quality of their their drivers. This could be a weekend where they basically put a pretty significant nail in the coffin of Ferrari's championship hopes that Ferrari have cost themselves tremendously with bad strategy, with bad pit stops and reliability. Now this technical directive could be the nail in their, in their championship hopes. So my fear is that Red Bull storm away to a one-two, continue to cash in a point, And regardless of who finishes three, four, and five, it's going to be a distant three, four, and five. And again, I'm cautioning everyone listening at home, I am not criticizing Red Bull. They are where they deserve to be. They engineered themselves into the position that they're in. But I think ultimately TD-039 in the spirit of driver safety may hamper the performance of that Mercedes and Ferrari enough that this could be an easy race win red bull now to your point earlier this is a great track you know on paper it doesn't look spectacular it's only 14 terms it is a punishing track by the way it is very tight there are concrete barriers along most of the walls if you make a mistake even aside from the wall of champions if you make a mistake you're going to be eating concrete in a hurry and your race weekend will be over there is little forgiveness at this track it looks great on tv it drives well uh the aggregates in pretty good condition I think it probably needs to be resurfaced in the next two or three years it's not particularly abrasive on tires which is why I don't think that they're in a significant hurry to do so Um, earlier today by the way Tim Haraney posted a really great video which we retweeted and he actually is on track walking through people um, through the couple of corners that lead into the wall of champions and explaining why it can be so problematic but aside from all of that it's a race I definitely look forward to and like you I'll be very honest man you know what full reveal full transparency i rarely get up at 5 or 6 a.m to watch a grand prix (laughs) live with the f1 tv pro app i will wake up at 8 and watch it from there before it gets spoiled by social media but this is a great race for us because you and i get to watch it live the other thing that i'll add as well is typically in a given normal non-pandemic year the canadian grand prix is usually the most watched race on the F1 calendar in terms of TV ratings. This is typically the biggest TV draw. And it's because it happens early afternoon in North America. It's prime time for the half a billion people that live in North America and the hundreds of millions of people that live in South America. And it's also prime time TV viewing in Europe. So Europe, Western Europe, it's 7, 8, 9 PM. They're sitting down, they can watch it. So typically this is the most watched race on the F1 calendar. And also one of the Biggest TV sporting events on the calendar every year, typically after the Super Bowl and one other event. So a lot of eyeballs on this event, and it's a big showcase for the province of Quebec, the city of Montreal, and Canadian as a whole, or Canada as a whole.
1: You know, I'm gonna be in Montreal in about two months. We're gonna make it part of our summer vacation this year. We're gonna go down there for a couple of weeks, a couple of days. Unfortunately, The uh, Formula One circus will be long gone since then, but uh, certainly uh, it's going to be a a lot of fun to watch it this weekend. And one thing I did forget to mention is that Pirelli is bringing the softest tire compounds in their range to the race this weekend. They're bringing the C3 hard, C4 mediums, and the C5 Soft, so yeah, I I really have the feel that this is going to be a make or break uh, weekend uh, for Ferrari. But at this point, it's it's a little bit hard to kind of really kind of nail that down, make a prediction because a lot of this is just uh, purely speculation. I mean, we're sitting here late on Thursday evening recording this podcast, so by the time that this drops and gets into everybody's feed uh, on Friday morning, something completely different might have uh, you know transpired. What with the uh, uh, TD they came out uh, earlier today day. So this is very much a developing story and we'll see how this is uh, further implemented and how this is going to be monitored and scrutinized uh, by uh, Formula One and the FIA over the course of the weekend. Uh, And do we know for a fact that this is going to be implemented this weekend or is this going to be like one of these things? remember last year with the Flexi Wings, they said, "Okay, starting from I think it was the French Grand Prix, that this is what we're going to do. This is what the what the new rule is. This is how we're going to police it. But there there seems to me to be a little bit kind of like hastiness when it comes to this new TD that dropped earlier today. I, I'm, you know, maybe it's just me kind of being a little bit out of the news cycle a little bit this afternoon. But it, to, to me, it just seems a little bit vague as to when this is going to be actually, you
0: know, w- when this is going to go live. Based on everything I've read, it sounds like it's designed to be implemented for FP3 for qualifying. So I think whatever whatever analysis and telemetry the FIA is going to be looking at will happen in FP1 and FP2. So again, this is just me expanding or extrapolating based on the things I've read and the comments that I've seen. But to me, it seems like FP1 and FP2 will present the FIA with the data, the telemetry that they need to establish the, the metrics that will ultimately dictate the configurations that the teams run on FP3 and qualifying to ensure the safety of the driver and to limit the amount of of porpoising that we have seen, again, that could change, right? Like ultimately, maybe the FIA doesn't see the data that they're hoping to see to make those decisions, but I think their hope is to implement this as quickly as possible. Now that said, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stakeholders involved because the teams need to be involved, the sport needs to be involved, and the FIA needs to be involved. And somehow they need to bring all of this together in the next 36 hours because they need to accomplish it before FP3. And now for everyone listening at home, by the time you hear this, there may have been rapid developments about this but i would expect to see something happen this weekend i i just hope it doesn't become the dominant story but i suspect that ultimately it could and by being a dominant story i mean it could really aid red bull and again it's not a slander at red bull because they've designed a brilliant car that has not suffered the effects of porpoising but on the other hand i'm also very happy that the fia didn't level the playing field and unnecessarily disadvantage Red Bull um, and punish them for having developed a great car.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to also circle back. Uh, I kind of missed it in uh, my show notes uh, easier, but uh, there was some quotes from uh, Christian Horner, the uh, team principal over at Red Bull, who had to say a quote where he was asked uh, when uh, you know what they could do to get rid of uh, porpoising. He uh, basically echoed a bunch of things that Tim said on the show last Sunday night, and he said, "quote uh, They could obviously stick a thicker plank on the car if they wanted." And the easiest thing is obviously you can raise the car, end quote. Then he also went on to to say, quote, you have a choice where you run your car, don't you? you should never run a car that's unsafe, but I think there's more the, the, I think that's more for the technical guys, because certain cars have issues, and there are some cars that have very few issues, so it would seem unfair to penalize the ones that have done a decent job versus the ones that have missed or perhaps missed the target slightly, so obviously I think that second uh, you know sentence from Christian there is a, a bit of a veiled uh, remark at uh, directed towards Ferrari and um, uh, Mercedes. He's obviously in the first half where he's says it's unfair to penalize the ones that have done a decent job. He's obviously uh, referring to the the job that Red Bull, his own team, have done compared to uh, Ferrari and uh, Red, sorry, to uh, Mercedes. Who he he uh, he sort of. Says somewhat, uh, you know, diplomatically, the ones that perhaps missed the target slightly. (laughs) So, you know, I guess that's a a nice way of saying that uh, you don't have a car that is as quick or as uh, competitive as ours. So, Mark, before we dim the lights and, uh, and turn off the mics... Uh, do, do I put you on the, the the spot once again for a prediction this week? I, I know that you've sat on the fence a couple of times this year.
0: So, so at some point- It's easy, man. It's easy this it's week. E- okay, it's, sure. Yeah. I've got a couple of predictions. One, that Max will qualify on pole and he will win the race and that Sergio will finish second. But I also have another prediction and that is that I will continue to plead and beg and ever so gently and kindly ask our listeners for reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts and for ratings on Spotify. I've said it before folks at home, you know, we put a lot of time and energy in this podcast and we love doing it simply because we get so much positive energy and so much positive feedback from everybody at home. But if you have the opportunity, it means so much to us, not just personally, but it means so much to the promotion of the show. So if you listen to your podcast on Apple Podcasts, if you could do us a huge favor. I review and a rating we would be honored and likewise if you listen to spotify you can't leave a review but you can absolutely leave us a five-star rating that would be amazing so those are my predictions one max will win the race sergio finish number two and hopefully next week we'll get a ton of fantastic new reviews
1: well, there you go. I think that's a good place uh, to leave it. I'm going to echo that. I think Max wins. I think Sergio comes home in seconds. And I'm going to say that Lewis is going to get on the podium. The uh, seven-time world champion has won seven times in uh, Montreal at the Canadian Grand Prix over the years. So why don't we give, uh, show Lewis a little bit of love, a little bit of uh, you know success. Wish him a bit of success going into this one. Anyways, that's it for us. If you want to get in touch, uh, by all means do so on Twitter at ScooterEF1Pod or on email at ScooteryF1Pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the Grand Prix. We'll be back on Sunday night. Until then, bye for now.